Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Hit Like a Girl podcast is a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. One thing I love about working with them is that they're mission-driven, which means that they're dedicated to featuring authoritative shows, hosts, and guests who take on the tough topics in healthcare with empathy, expertise, and a commitment to excellence. If you're looking for bingeable content related to the healthcare industry, they've got more than 8,000 episodes on demand waiting for you. From professional development, the patient voice, digital health, innovation and entrepreneurship, and of course, health IT, they've got you covered. So this is your official invitation to check them out at healthpodcastnetwork.com. Hey there, and welcome to Hit Like a Girl Pod. More than just a podcast, we are a community dedicated to lifting the voices of women in healthcare and health IT. With each episode, we bring a new expert in her field, not only to share her contributions, but also information about traveling down her career path and how to get her job. I'm your host, Joy Rios. This season, Sharice Maynard is joining me as my co-host. We hit the trails all summer long and are bringing our best conversations with women from the field, sometimes literally, to you. On today's episode, we're talking with Tangina Shapiro, Chief Operating Officer at Curation Health. One of her secrets to staying balanced has been taking up belly dancing. How cool is that? Okay, without further ado, let's get started. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for joining us for the Hit Like a Girl podcast today. We're going to be talking with Tangina Shapiro, and we've got co-host Sharice Maynard with us today Thank as you well. Thank for having me. Yeah. <laughs> and we are in Joshua Tree. We are at the beginning of our Hit the Trails journey and at the, you know, start of this epic time. So thank you for coming out to join us today. It's yes, really nice to me. see you in person and meet you in person. Thank you. <laughs> Can you share with our audience a little bit about yourself and what you do for a living and your piece of the health IT puzzle, so to speak? Sure. Yeah. So as you said, Tangina Shapiro, I am with... Uh, Curation Health. I'm their chief uh, operating officer. And we're a health startup, tech, tech service, and an IT services company that helps physicians and health systems move to value-based care. We do that through integrating our solution within their native EMR. And so I've been with the with Curation Health for a little over two years. 
And uh, prior to that, I was at uh, Avalon Health doing a similar risk adjustment and value-based care solution. How do you make risk adjustment exciting for people? (laughs) (laughs) That's an interesting question. I think the way that you make it exciting is just to make sure that you're working and creating a workflow that works well for physicians and works well for the other team members that are supporting physicians. But it is, at the end of the day, it is a CMS model and it is a, it is a payment model, but at the end of the day, an equation sometimes gets lost if there's the patient, right? So all of the work that we're doing in value-based care is intended to help physicians take better care of patients. So as long as you kind of keep that as you, in your mind, then it can be pretty exciting. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit? Well, I mean, speaking about just risk adjustment factors and HCC scoring, it's complicated stuff. It can be very complicated stuff. Do you have a way to kind of simplify it so lay people or people who are like, that's not their thing that they talk about all the time? Like, how would they understand what it is that you're, what service you guys are providing? Yeah. So the thing, uh, the way to think about risk adjustment and the HCC models and things like that is that it's essentially, it's trying to understand how sick patients are. So the more you understand all of the complexities of the patient and the body systems that it impacts, those are all all translate into codes. Those codes translate into weights, which translate into financial dollars. So that's kind of how I think about it. it. It is a very complicated model, but at the end of the day, you're trying to understand how sick are the patients, what are the comorbidities, what are the complexities that they're dealing with. And each of those have assigned a code. They're like 90,000 codes and only a handful of them are risk adjustment eligible. So it's like basically making sure that providers understand the complexity of those. And so that's kind of what we do at uh, Curation Health is like we're trying to create a solution that is what we um, platform is called the three C's. So it's the curate, capture and confirm. So we want to be surrounding the physician with a pre-visit service that will enable the physician to really understand what is the data that they need to assess for the patient at the point of care. And then we also understand that physicians are not coders. So we want to give them the ability to make sure that they're capturing that right ICD-10 code to be able to get the reimbursement that they need. So I work in the Merit-Based Incentive Payment Mm -hmm. System area, or MIPS, and what you, the language you're speaking is cost category, all mm-hmm. cost category stuff. Yeah. And that started out as like not contributing to an, their overall score and then 10 out of 100 points and then 15 out of 100 points. And that's where, and now 20, this year it's 20 out of 100 points and it is set to be worth 30 out of 100 points. So CMS's intention is to give people time to like wrap their head around it. Yeah. But I don't know that people have really wrapped their head around it yet. It still it's feels like it's a lot. And and it's contributing to more of, of what goes into their reimbursement, right? Exactly. And, and it's one of those things that you don't necessarily have as much control over, right? Mm-hmm. So you don't, does a physician have control over like how complex their patients are or whatever? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if they have control over it, but information is power. So the more information they have about their patients, and that's kind of what we do in the first step is that we are taking data from multiple sources. We're paragnostic and we're trying to make sure that we have the most accurate data on that patient. But we also know that healthcare data is messy and sometimes incomplete. So we don't want to just take that information, run it through a, a proprietary algorithm and spit out an answer and present that in front of a physician. That's why we have nurses that review that information against their medical record, mm-hmm. against the patient's medical record. And then they're basically ensuring 
that the right diagnosis codes are being presented to the physicians. And that's also an opportunity for a nurse to query a provider if the patient has diabetes, but the, the complexity of the diabetes has not been captured and they don't see it being captured historically, but they're seeing lab values and other values that indicate that this patient has some complexity that needs to be captured. So querying that provider helps the providers understand where they need to focus their attention on at the point of care. That's pretty valuable. It really is. It, it's not that fun to think about, honestly, <laughs> but it does make a big difference. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's not fun to think about, but, uh, you know, we, my marketing per- director is always looking for quotes from providers. And it's, it's really rewarding that when you, we complete an implementation and we got on provider calls and they're interested in understanding why our solution is not available for all of their other systems and uh-huh. other, other patients, right? So what we do is mainly focused on value-based care, but there's still, physicians are still living in a fee-for-service world. Yeah. And so essentially they're having to deal with patients differently because of the programs that they're in. And what we're trying to do is create a scenario where they can take care of their patients regardless of what program they're in. That's great. I always like, there are times when I really like digging into the data and then you're just like, oh, we've got all these extra costs because we are we have a habit of sending our patients to this hospital instead of that hospital. Or we haven't been coding enough to the complexity on mm-hmm. specifically diabetes. And that's where we can point our attention to just like do right. a better job of capturing that information, not realizing down the line how that's going to affect you and mm-hmm. your business and the yeah. organization. It is really, it's, it's important. It is, yeah. it is, yes. Sharice, is there anything you want to jump in on? I was going to um, piggyback, no, well, not piggyback, but backtrack on what you were saying about the nurses. Do you find that including nurses in that decision-making model helps remove some of the bias out of um, data? Because we do see um, data bias in some of these models. And once it gets to the physician level, that determines how that physician cares for that particular patient. So do you think the inclusion of nursing mm-hmm. makes it easier to remove the bias? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think what the nursing, so the pre-visit or the curate step is um, nurses that are certified in outpatient coding. And so what they're doing is they are ensuring that these um, the diagnosis codes that are being presented to the provider are accurate, are supported by clinical documentation. And I think what it does is that it gives providers a level of comfort and a level of confidence that this has been reviewed from a clinical perspective. And so I do think that, yes, I have a lot of respect for nurses and, uh, you know, we just recently celebrated Nurses Mm -hmm. Week, right? And so a lot of respect for that. And uh, what they're doing is that they're doing that sort of like human data mining within the electronic medical record and really trying to understand what was the clinical information that can be presented to the provider so that the provider is not having to do that investigation when the patient is sitting in front of them. I I often say this to my husband is like, most of my PCP visits, providers spend most of their time looking at the screen rather than looking at, Mm -hmm. at the individual, right? And so how can we make it easier so that they are really creating that relationship with their patient and not having to dig into their EMR to really validate something? Should I be asking the patient about this? Should I be treating this other condition? We are curating that information And it's being done by nurses, which creates a level of confidence for the providers. I like it. I just got the image of like, you're basically 
giving them more time and giving them the information that they need so that they don't need to be asking a bunch of other questions like, right. here, let me, I love the idea of alley-ooping somebody. Mm-hmm. We're going to alley-oop you mm-hmm. so that you can do a slam dunk with this. Oh, with this <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that, yeah. Yeah, that back to our marketing manager and see what she says about that. <laughs> I don't know if a basketball analogy is it. I'm not a sports person. Oh, gosh. Yes. <laughs> I can tell you I'm sense, not. Though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you had mentioned something on our hike that I wanted to touch on, and it was about this women's empowerment group that you are in. I believe it's called Elevate. Is that Yes, correct? Elevate Network, the global network of uh, basically helping women get more equity within the workplace and also providing them with the resources that they need in order to advance in their career. So yeah, I've been uh, part of the Elevate DC network. That's where I, I used to live before I moved here to California. And uh, yeah, we do a lot of events. Uh, of course, uh, COVID has changed a lot, but uh, I think uh, pre-COVID, we were doing 30 to 40 in-person events. And those are great opportunities for women to network with other women and uh, learn about uh, anything that they need to in terms of building confidence, in terms of seeking promotions. And uh, it's just a very supportive network. If somebody wanted to join, yeah, what, yeah. It's yeah, open to anybody? Ele- yeah, it's open to anybody. Elevate Network. I think there are uh, 40 plus chapters available. So I know there's a local chapter here in LA as well. And so, yeah, just go online and they're having a lot of events. And uh, due to COVID, they have uh, changed their, some of their um, tiered structures mm-hmm. of membership. But, you know, you can come in as a new person in the workforce to executive level. And currently I'm in one of those executive level squad type programs, which is like a 12 week program. It's, it's just a, amazing group of supportive women who are helping each other out in terms of whatever it is at work that you're dealing with and just the brain power of, uh, you know, people from different backgrounds, different experiences, helping one another out. It's a very supportive group. I love that idea and concept in general. I'm just like, okay, sign me up. (laughs) Yeah, check out Elevate Network. Okay. So besides your work with Elevate, what other ways do you get away from your computer, get out of the office? How do you, what hobbies do you have? What are you into? Ooh, that's an interesting one because uh, I am wearing a t-shirt that says, <laughs> why, walk? why walk when you can shimmy? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, as a hobby, this is something that I, I came across and uh, when I was living in DC, I just have, I enjoy dancing. I've done a lot of um, salsa and Latin dances, salsa, bachata, merengue. That's actually where I met my husband, as I was telling Joy. And then after a while, I was looking for something different and I ended up finding this DC dance community called Sahara Dance. And uh, so I started to try Egyptian dancing, Egyptian belly dance, and uh, I've been hooked ever since, and it's been a great journey. So it's really interesting. It's fun. I was tell- as I was telling Joy, you know, the idea of doing something completely different than healthcare. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to learn different moves and isolations and combinations and layering. It's quite a brain teaser. I can imagine. And I've actually heard that a lot of our trauma is stored in the hips and the body and so I can imagine that belly dancing would be a really good release for Mm -hmm. anybody who's experienced Mm -hmm. any kind of trauma yeah 
I also would, uh, yeah, encourage you to check out Sahara Dance uh, website. But they, one of the things is that they're very um, supportive of uh, any body types. And I think that's huge for women, right? I, I've been so fortunate to find a community in Sahara Dance with women from all different walks of life, all different body shapes and incredible, incredible performances. If you ever get to get a chance to check out any of their YouTube videos. And yeah, I think uh, there was actually uh, one workshop that I was in where one of the ladies had heard about us through some flyer somewhere and uh, she joined an intro to belly dance workshop and she was a double breast cancer survivor and she basically shared with us in our circle that she felt so that this was such an inclusive community that she felt that she could come in and dance and start to appreciate her body again so yeah you just reminded me of that. Yeah. I've been spending some time in the quarantine on TikTok. <laughs> I just got introduced to TikTok today. Yeah. <laughs> we did a TikTok. And one of the things is just like, yeah, that I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot of really <laughs> random stuff on TikTok. And one is like some of the dances that you can do to kind of release trauma from mm-hmm. your body. And yeah. I feel like we're all kind of going through this collective trauma. And I've really been trying to dance and just kind of embody happiness when yeah. I can yeah. just because it feels like a way of of loving myself and yeah. therefore like sharing that like I feel like there's enough bad news out there whatever we can do to take care of ourselves and be a good example of positivity in the world is is healthy yeah and so anyway dance I feel like is a solid way yeah. to do that it's mm-hmm. good workout and it's also like uh, it's movement through expression right and yeah. so it's a very great way to use your body to express whatever it is that you're feeling. And it's also a release system. Mm -hmm. Well, we ask all of our guests, if you had any advice for women following in your footsteps or if somebody wanted your job, for example, like where would they begin? What path would they take to follow your lead to where you are? (laughs) I wish I had a roadmap. I I didn't. I think we were talking a little bit about my background. I had got a master's in finance and I thought I wanted to work in an investment uh, banking industry. I did that for six months and realized that that was not the life for me. (laughs) And then it just took me to a couple of uh, roles within a uh, large uh, nonprofit organization. But what I've been always interested in is trying to figure out how technology can help improve people's lives. And uh, while I was doing my master's uh, and executive MBA program through the University of Maryland, I was trying to explore where can I make a difference? And I just felt like at the time, healthcare was, you know, really at the cusp of em- embracing technology and uh, working on creative solutions. So that's kind of how I positioned myself to move into the healthcare industry and, um, you know, kind of worked my way through just learning. I think uh, if you are open to learning no matter what it is or how difficult it is, that is definitely a good way to move and then be open to to different roles. I mean, I have um, kind of taken roles that are lateral sometimes mm-hmm. in Elevate Network. Uh, often with women, we talk a lot about uh, advancing versus taking lateral moves. Sometimes you'd learn a lot through the, just going through a lateral, especially when I was moving from a nonprofit industry to a healthcare industry. I didn't know anything about healthcare. Mm-hmm. So having that helped to be able to really learn and then move move from there. That's great. I love the idea of a beginner's mindset yes. of just like, no matter how advanced you are, mm-hmm. just constantly being open to learning. Yes. And in healthcare, I learn every day. So yeah. it's been fun. It is an area that will teach you a lot. Sometimes it impacts you in ways that you don't you know, realize you can grow some emotions out of the type of things we deal with in healthcare. Yeah. I'm 
policy, technology, and that type of thing, when you realize how it impacts other people, mm-hmm. it changes you in certain types of ways. So, yeah. Oh, definitely. Yes. Well, and just the human aspect of mm-hmm. it, too. It's just like we talk about the policy and the technology, but like at the end of the day, there's somebody there who has an ailment or mm-hmm. condition or something. Who's, yeah suffering you right. know and it hits home mm-hmm. it does yeah i'd be interested in knowing how your role changed during the pandemic are you fully remote or are you um how does yeah that so that's a good question we've uh curation health we've always been a hundred percent remote company so we're actually when the pandemic did hit we were able to you know do well in in that environment because we'd already built a culture of a remote workforce. We have a lot of uh, things that we do as part of our, our culture to make sure that we are staying connected with uh, with team members. Obviously, we, we had adopted video conferences, well, uh, conferencing well before the pandemic. So we continued with that. We've also done a lot of things like getting to know team members. I think, Joy, you were asking like, how big, uh, how big is your team? And it's like, you know, we've just, I think just in this year, we've hired 10 people. So the team is growing and I was employee number five. So it's really amazing to see the growth and see that culture continue to permeate throughout the organization through our daily stand-ups that we do in collaboration with the engineering team and the client success team, with the work that we do around celebrating each other. So on a weekly uh, Fridays, we have our shout-outs and then virtual coffees with team members. I try to meet with um, several of the team members on one-on-one just to get to know each other, you know what's going on in their life, who's getting married, who's having a baby. It's just, mm-hmm. so we're, we're really doing that. And then actually we recently had started, uh, and we need to pick that back up again as uh, of, uh, we've we do sometimes we do games on Fridays, and so we did the name that baby, mm-hmm. oh. uh, which was a lot of fun. So anywhere from six months to two years old, you just uh, you know we just show pictures and we try to guess which team member it was. Oh, gotcha! So a lot of fun. <laughs> that would be fun. Yeah. Do you guess wrong? I'm sure there's some uh, that you're often. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Well, is there anything that you want to share with us that we haven't asked? Anything that you want to ask? You good? What's next for you? There you go. Oh my gosh. Um, (laughs) That is a good question. So I moved into the chief operating officer role about six months ago, and uh, it is a new role for me. And I'm trying to, you know, it's it's kind of, uh, it's really cool to be in a healthcare and a startup environment, shaping the role as you're trying to grow and uh, scale a business. So I think, you know, for us, it's going to be trying to figure out how to scale and uh, and what are some of those strategic initiatives that we're going to be focusing on in the next two to, uh, two to three years. And just basically learning what this role is all about. That's great. Well, thank you for joining us today. If people want to follow you or connect with you online, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, Tangina Shapiro. I'm on LinkedIn and I don't really do a lot of the other um, platforms, but yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. All right. And then about your companies on Twitter. Yes, we are on, on Twitter and, um, and LinkedIn. And uh, I believe we also have Instagram. So it's, yeah, curationhealth.com. Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much. This has been nice. This has been a pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for joining us on Hit Like a Girl Pod. Make sure to visit our website where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or the Health Podcast Network so you never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this episode, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or simply tell a friend. You can also find us on the socials. Our handle on all of them is Hit Like a Girl Pod. Be sure to tune in next time. See you soon. This episode is brought to you by Chirpy Bird, Inc.
CMS's Merit-Based Incentive Payment System, or MIPS, is super complex, and if clinicians ignore the program or perform poorly in it, it can result in a hit to their revenue and reputation. Chirpy Bird is proud to say that more than 95% of its clients are exceptional performers in MIPS, meaning they've maximized the score that directly translates into their Medicare reimbursement rate. Chirpy Bird offers their audit-proof services to practices of all sizes through an affordable monthly subscription that includes unlimited access to a regulatory expert who guides them in knowing what data to track, how to create workflows that make capturing that data easier, and ensures that they submit it all to CMS on time and performing at its best. Contact Chirpy Bird today or learn more at chirpybirdinc.com. That's chirpybirdinc.com.